0: Hello and welcome to The Doc Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mike DeLuke, and it's my mission to help you lead a happier, healthier, and more prosperous life, both personally and professionally. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Doc Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mike DeLuke, and I'm honored to have Dr. Rail Bernstein with me as today's guest on the show. Rail is an amazing orthodontist who practices in Northern California, where he owns and operates a private group of 11 orthodontic practices. He obtained his Certificate of Proficiency in Orthodontics from SUNY Buffalo in 1998, and afterwards completed a fellowship in early treatment. He's an early adopter of passive self-ligation for use in Phase one treatment and developed and patented the Bernie Brace Early Treatment System for use in Phase one cases. Rail has taught at numerous orthodontic departments over the years, including UOP, UNLV, and UCLA. He continues to share his knowledge and skill with his colleagues at programs around the country and most recently presented at the Pitt's World Master's Symposium in Dallas. So with that I would like to welcome Rail to the show Rail welcome
1: Thank you Mike thanks it's a, it's a pleasure to be
0: here with you and I appreciate
1: the invitation
0: Yeah no it's great great to have you and I'm really excited to uh, talk just kind of dive into some issues on really hot button issues now in our profession on phase 1 and early expansion and how you do it and 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 we share some things in common some not um we'll talk a little bit on the airway side of things as well but before we start diving into that side just tell me a little bit more about you and your family life and what you do kind of for fun and leisure um outside practice
1: yeah um well i you know married uh, of the a- over 20 years, and um, got two teenage girls. So I'm just trying to hang on for dear <laughs> life here. at this yep. point. Um, you know, practice is good. I practice, uh, you know, I practice orthodontics. Uh, contrary to popular belief, yeah. I actually uh, yeah, love uh, <laughs> clinical practice. And, and uh, you know, I practice three to four days a week uh, right. as I've done my whole career. Wow. I can think of nothing better to do. Um, I love orthodontics. I love. Uh, teaching orthodontics and sharing uh, what we do so it's a pleasure to be on your show so so we can share what we do um, you know I, I like um, personally uh, you know I'm a um, um, failed professional rugby player I guess if you want to call it that, <laughs> well, that sounds <laughs> I'm from interesting, South Africa yeah. originally so that's okay. where the accent's from and uh, rugby is our, you know, our uh, na- uh, national sport. So okay. grew up playing rugby, and uh, you know, played it uh, through through college, and uh, still watch and enjoy all kinds of sports. I'm getting ready for the Super Bowl this weekend, so yep. go Niners! Yes, should have worn my Niners jersey. Yes, um, and uh, yeah, so uh, you know, I just like to stay active, work out, um, and and just you know, like we're all trying to do is find the right work life balance. Um, especially with uh you know with with larger maybe successful practices and uh you know just having having balance of spending time with a family and uh you know we like to travel together and see new places yeah. um i like you know I, I don't want to miss any of my kids uh, theater performances or yeah. basketball games and 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 you know but still want to be there for your patients and for your staff yeah. and for your teams so um yeah that's that's the perennial um you know, endeavor in orthodontics, and of mm-hmm. course, trying to be a better orthodontist every day. You know, so 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 every day better
0: is is my motto. Love Just it. Trying one one step at a time. Love it. Yeah, and um, it, it is. It's a challenge. It's a challenge to fit all all those things in. And I give you a tremendous amount of credit for doing all that and having eleven practices it's uh mind-boggling probably to most of us out there myself included i will say on the football side so this is going to air a few days after the super bowl so we'll know if your prediction we'll know the weekend you had and um as a as an unfortunate cowboys fan from upstate new york sad to say i'm a cowboys fan but it's it's not easy but at this point it's just kind of a glutton for punishment i suppose but um yeah i don't really obviously have any um much liking for the 49ers. Although I got to say there's, you know, Purdy, these guys, there's a couple 30. of them now. I, I I'm, I'm and McCaffrey. They're, they're solid, solid dudes. So it's uh, um, you know, I, I don't hate them as much as I usually do, I guess. I, and the oh. Cowboys, I don't really have much to say positive about that. Well, so. I guess that's a good thing. You know,
1: yeah, we, we, we love the 49ers. You know, so, yeah. So. No, oh, and
0: see. so uh, tell me, how did you get to this stage in your career where you have eleven practice. I mean you've been practicing it sounds like you're about five-ish years ahead of me, five, six years ahead of me. So I mean, that's a that's a heck of a an accomplishment to achieve. How did it happen? I mean, did you start it one from scratch? Did you buy out a group? Did you buy out another doc?
1: No, uh, actually, no. my my story is uh, kind of interesting. I finished uh, my residency and moved out to California and associated. Uh, Down in Southern California, Uh, a lot of the opportunities that were kind of presented at the time diminished and evaporated. Uh, It was at the time of the 99.com bubble Mm, burst. burst. Yeah, sure. There was a bunch of practices that were transitioning and all of a sudden didn't transition. I think a lot of guys uh, or, or uh, you know, a lot of people um, got, uh, got, got a little bit burnt on their retirement plans yep. and they had to keep working. Yep. And um, and so, you know, the opportunities were few and far between back then. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up moving up to Northern California mm-hmm. and uh, starting a practice from scratch, actually. Wow. Uh, I was talking to a dentist one day. You know, I'd, I'd taken a couple of corporate jobs mm-hmm. uh, to pay the bills. And um, you know and, and thank goodness they were there yeah. Um, yeah, we, it's and, and you learn from every every endeavor you get into, right sure. so you, you almost learn sometimes what not to do is, is just as valuable as what to do. So yeah, so I, I try agree. to take the lessons from that uh, and um, kind of you know rented out uh, one chair in a dental office Um yeah. And uh the, the dental office had hygienists that finished uh, work at three, and they said, well, the, the chair is available after three, so wow. uh, make an office. <laughs> and so that, those are the only opportunities that I actually had at the time. Wow. There were no practices, um, there were no associateships, uh, there was nothing. And so we we had to, you know, work hard and 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 just go at it and and really um make it work. And yeah. so I did and and uh you know, again, learning a lot of lessons from 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 those early days. Yeah, uh, I'd work at at the corporate job and then come work in the office in the evening, mm-hmm. run here and drive here. We, I was driving two hours one way and two hours the other way to go to work. So again, not a not a not necessarily any harder than anyone else works. You mm-hmm. know, um, you know, I think we get a little bit spoiled in our profession. Mm-hmm. We get a lot spoiled. Yeah, and, and, yeah. Um, so, you know, I didn't know any better and, and just did what I had to do to, to, to get this practice off the ground, um, was, you know, really supportive, the community that we were in, and we're just trying to take care of everyone. And, and you know, I had all of one employee for, for a long yeah. time, yep. and, and then my whole staff um, resigned, and that was a, my one employee.
0: <laughs> there you go.
1: I had yeah, to learn how to do everything. Yep. yep. Um, every position, so I did yep. everything. You know, yep. from from janitor to orthodontist to receptionist <laughs> to billing Been to there. Yep. sterilizing.
0: Yeah. Yep. yep.
1: So those are interesting days. Anyway, so you know, I just I kept my head down and worked hard. Um, mm-hmm. try, you know, ultimately, people used to ask me because we grew that that you know that startup practice. Um, you know, I guess I'm in the land of startup, right? <laughs> in, right. Sure. Yeah. And, um, and then, I you know, about a year and a half later, um, actually built out our first office. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually physically built some of it or I did the demolition of the, of this building and, wow. and the roof almost caved in on me. So we learned that we'll leave uh, construction to Back the experts. To the,
0: yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a lesson. Yep.
1: And, and just kept working hard at, at, at taking care of patients, you know, and people would ask me at meetings or colleagues like, oh, what's the secret or the marketing and, what not? And I said, well, it's the marketing is just part of what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the best marketing is take care of the patients, right? Uh, so really, really take care of what's important to them. So true. Um, you know, and, uh, and, and, and uh, that, that's the best marketing you can. And of course, everything you do is marketing. So, you know, you can't just nail one thing and say, Oh, this is the best marketing thing. It's, it's a combination of everything.
0: Yeah. And internal marketing, and so, I think is yeah. one of the most Overlooked and most, and I don't mean internal marketing like like playstations in the reception room. No, not no, 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 gimmicks. Yeah. It, the, yeah, those are gimmicks, and and not that you don't have them, and I had them. But but the point is, is internal marketing exactly what you said, taking care of the patient. There's no better marketing out there, and it oh. stands the test of time. And I know people say now that it it's not the same, and you know, with social media and advertising, and it, I agree, things have changed. Mm-hmm. But that yeah. formula is tried and true. What's well, the core of what we do, right? Mm-hmm. And so
1: we've got to be good at that, all mm-hmm. right, and, and really focus on it. And then, of course, you you can't ignore all the other things. You got to you got to still do all the other things because yeah. you can't ignore it. Um, and a lot of people get kind of caught up in 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 the gimmicks and the mumbo jumbo yep. and everything yep. else. So, um, so we've always just tried to focus on that. And uh, you know, are we perfect? We, we we try to be perfect every time, but we're humans, just like anyone else. You know, mm-hmm. so. We, um, you know, we, we just at least try to be better every day, you know, yeah. and that's and that's what we try and do. So um, we grew, I grew that practice and it grew pretty large, I opened up a satellite, it seemed that that was like the thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> and, yep. uh, you know, I kind of tried to, I, I was listening to the consultants and the experts and we yep. had pretty much every consultant come through the office to help us with this and for that and, you know, and and, and uh you know, orthodontists, we train business on the fly, which yes. is kind of the worst way to do it. Yep. Um, it's, it's a, it, you know, I wish I'd learned business and I'd learned management. Mm-hmm. Um, as i was going through orthodontics but but i had an orthodontist up in uh, upside new york one, uh, one of the uh, the uh, attending uh, faculty mm. and he give us a course uh, a little bit on marketing mm. and he gave us this little handbook which was like my bible yeah. at the time to to get my practice going and and uh, you know i've spoken at his study clubs now and, and we're good friends That's but it, it was it was thanks to people like that that mm. helped me in my career outside of knowing where to put the bracket right mm. and so i've always looked for for um givers that mm-hmm. that that give of their information that, mm-hmm. that share openly um it, it, for the sake of sharing not yeah. not because there's something in it for them right um but just because they enjoy doing that and it gives them fulfillment and and so i try and do the same of course with uh with the, the associates that work with me with the residents that we teach the lectures mm-hmm. that we give uh, always willing to 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 share um with 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 our colleagues so we can kind of all get better together that's um that's, that's a huge and, part of it yeah i think so and, and most in our profession i think i like that i agree uh, I met agree. a lot yep. like yep. yourself you know and 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 others that are really are givers mm-hmm. and uh you know one of my mentors uh you know dr tom pitts who who i follow and who, who helped me when I was in the fledgling of my career, I would drive over to Reno and mm. sit at the chair side and try and take in of like, what's a practice supposed to look like? I didn't even know what a treatment coordinator was at the time. Wow. Um, and then I kind of ventured off to looking at what they were doing in the clinic. And, and, and I was like, wow, no one taught me this stuff in, in school. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, <laughs> and, and, and I'll
0: come back to that. Of, uh, yeah. You know, well, we can a get back to too. that, yeah. but you know, so uh, so
1: people like that were just always willing to share and help and, uh, the, the whole, you know, back then was the Damon camp and, and those guys would, 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 you know, really help a lot with, yeah. with the young startup, you know, Honest who didn't know much about this whole system that we were doing um, and we learned. So yeah. um, so the practice thrived and, and, and flourished and, and it got really, really busy. Um, you know, it, it was, um, you know, it was growing and, uh, you know, as as you've had a, a big thriving standalone uh practice it pulls you in every kind of direction
0: oh it does and it sure and, does. And, and and
1: and we were starting a family at the time I had little kids and and i found like i was at you know at the office until late at night yep. dealing with something you know yep. some hr thing or yep. reviews or charts or leases <laughs> or whatever it was All and, it. and the yep. stuff was just driving me crazy and um i said okay fine you know I, let me i had to come Get back more into balance, into kind of a work-life balance, mm. and so. I about how far about in your be, career
0: would you say this was? About how many years into your uh, orthodontic? Probably
1: career? about eight. About eight. Okay. Yep.
0: yep. Okay. Um, to about maybe nine,
1: maybe nine, closer to ten, okay. and you know, some into the career or into my practice because uh, I into I, your time that you were kind years. of
0: how long you've been working at the practice when you felt it get to that point where it was all encompassing
1: yeah i think at the practice probably about eight years yeah okay yeah. Right. and so yeah it was it was slow going well it didn't happen overnight yeah you know?
0: no no nope. but when it happens you know, i read about businesses you have it, it, it happens and then you're like whoa this is like it, it's like you're just driving along and you're speeding up speeding up speeding up like you're on the highway and they think it's good good and then all of a sudden it's like whoa i'm going <laughs> i thought i was going right now and like you said all these other things are racing by all your other commitments uh i think that's one of the biggest challenges I found in building a big practice that gets very, Mm -hmm. very popular and in high demand is it's hard to know when to stay in that sweet spot. It's hard to know when to be like, oh, either or get associates or start to get help, which sounds like the avenue you went. But I think so many of us, get to the point where we feel that overwhelming feeling and then go to take action. And I don't know, maybe it's human nature. Maybe that's just the way it is, but it'd be really neat if there we could figure out or help others to figure out, Hey, like when you're here, this is the point that you should, should do that. So uh, yeah. So continue with, with uh, you started feeling that. Yeah, And I think it's different. Uh,
1: it's a good, it's a good, uh, a good point to bring up. Cause I think it's different for, 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 for everyone. You know, some mm-hmm. people, Kind of think they're at that point and, and i've spoken to a lot of orthodontists because a lot of people will ask me these questions mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and i'm and i'll I like, say okay well, so why do you want to bring in an associate why mm-hmm. why what, what what's the issues you know let's figure yep. out the why first yep and then figure out the solution versus just jumping to another solution right? yep and um and Which sometimes can have its own problems that's too. not the answer yeah. the answer is some efficiency thing or some insurance thing, whatever it is, but you know, so some, but anyway, so for me, again, not knowing much, uh, decided to kind of outsource some of that stuff, (laughs) some of the business functions that, that, you know, not my favorite thing, you know, I really love orthodontics and I like clinical practice. I like talking to patients and parents and that's, that's where, that's the lane I like to stay in. And, And so I try to outsource a lot of the, um, lot of the business functions and that was a disaster, absolute disaster. Um, Mm -hmm. It it, it took my, the issues I was having and the time that it took me and it doubled it Mm -hmm. and it was supposed to make it better. And so then I had to kind of reflect and think, okay, how, how can we do this?
0: Hey everybody, be sure to check out the doc website where you can get access to tons of great information, including free educational content, access to private one-on-one coaching with me. ADA SERP-recognized CE courses and amazing patient testimonials. Just go to theorthocoach.com. That's theorthocoach.com. And now back to today's episode.
1: I can either, you know, minimize what I'm doing, cut back.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, you can raise your fees and mm-hmm. s- help fewer people. Yep. Yep. Well, probably make more money. Yep. Um, and, and But, you know, for me, it wasn't it wasn't about that. It's it's about you know why I got into this in the first place was to help people, yeah. you know, help people and help more people and not say no to people, uh, try and help them. And so I decided to grow my own group for mm. a number of reasons. One is so we could have coverage for each mm. other, mm-hmm. the orthodontists. Yep, I could have my own. Um, you know, kind of not a temp agency, but we if if some people called in sick, we had we had a larger group of pool of employees to pull from, yep. and then we could also hire as a group. Um, you know, business people, management people that were good in their own right to take care of the the things that I didn't want to necessarily deal with, mm-hmm. so that I could go home at you know five thirty and. Uh, be with my family mm-hmm. which was somewhat of a little selfish thing i guess sure, if sure but, it, it. but
0: very important but, yeah
1: uh, but uh that's that's kind of how i went down this path of, of 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 developing a group so uh we we acquired um some practices we started de novo some other practices um and um you know and so that's kind of what would led us yeah. up to now yeah
0: so, very cool that's I, awesome. it's, yeah it's such a great story. And I, I, I love in doing the podcast. I love speaking with just people in general, learning their stories. I think it's fascinating just to hear uh, you, people see where people are at. And I know I can speak personally, you know, people didn't know that one where my practice had grown to people in the community who, you know, the kids I was treating weren't even alive when I started my practice, their parents were kids. Um, a lot of them or, or young, um, very young. They, didn't know that i did went to over a hundred general dental offices knocking on doors literally going in there with cards and brochures because it was before you know, you would you would do this stuff digitally and literally yep. just saying hey i'm mike deluke nice to meet you i'm the new guy in town and you know they had they would be like wait you what and, yeah i literally yeah. you know and i had times yeah. i you know was was treated terribly by front office people and you know it was it, so it's, I love the stories that, that, that encapsulate the grind because so few people get to where you're at without the grind. And I think one of the things that's, that's really awesome. And one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on is when we've spoken, it's clear that your focus has remained the patient through and through, and the focus has been on the patient. And I find very few people with whom I speak that if that focus remains on delivering a quality experience and result to the patient that their practices don't thrive. There's all these gimmicks. Like we said before, there's all these other things you can do. Consultants will say all these different things and it had these debates of, is it same day starts? Is it this? Is it? But at the end of the day, if you are dependent, no matter what techniques you use, no matter what modalities, no matter whether you do early treatment or not or Invisalign or not, if you care for your patients and they know it and you focus on getting great results on your cases, it will take care of itself and you will have a busy thriving practice. I mean, would you agree with that?
1: Yes, I agree. Um, there's, I mean, that's the, the, as I said, the core of what we do. Mm-hmm. And so it should be, mm-hmm. you know, because it's what, we, what we're, tra- we're trained to do. Right. It's why we're doing um, this. Right. Yeah. And, but, 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 but care goes beyond teeth, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um And and we spoke about it when we, when we first uh, met up on the phone yep. and, and in terms of, Kind of where my training was, and 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 kind of how we look at things, and how things have kind of not gone full circle. They haven't gone anywhere. They're still there, but right. but really looking at kind of what we wanted to talk about in terms of actual care for the patient, which includes yeah. the things you were talking about earlier in airway and 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 um, and and all the and everything else that's connected to to you know to the mouth that we work in.
0: <laughs> uh, to that point, I love. Let's, let's get into kind of how you got into our uh, kind of. Put it out there for those who may not know. We both uh, are big believers in the advantages of early treatment and what can be done to these young growing mouths. Uh, And um, a lot of people are aware of kind of how I got into that. And I want to focus on how you got there. I know you had said, and I let everyone know in the beginning, you did this sort of residency focus in early treatment. I'd love to hear more about that, and then how you or the I guess fellowship it would be called fellowship in early treatment how what that really was and then is that I guess I should say it this way did you do the fellowship in early treatment because you had this inner instinct that that was important or did you learn the value of early treatment through the fellowship
1: good question so through our residency our main um if you want to call it technique or philosophy that we followed uh was bioprogressive mm-hmm. uh we were, you know, I'm oh, still yeah, called Jino yeah. Land. yeah Jino Rickett Bench. Yep. Yeah, no, yeah. I had the yep. actually privilege of of uh, meeting uh Ricketts who came to our school. There's an actual picture I still have. Oh, it's all awesome. fuzzy and it's grainy a and I still have it's, hair, yeah. but <laughs> it's uh, it was awesome. And and that kind of resonated with me because when we went through dental school uh, in South Africa, which is where I did my dental school, mm-hmm. one of the very very first lectures we had when we came into the clinics was from one of the, um, you know, one of our lecturers, and he said he said, listen, we're going to talk about teeth and we're going to look for decay and, and and root canals and whatever. He said, but I want you to never forget this. He said when when a patient walks into the room and you first meet them. That's when you want to start diagnosing what's going on with the situation. He said you always start from the outside and go in. Mm. And 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 funny, the Ricketts people and the Broad Progressive people said the same thing. They, yeah. You know, they yeah, Form the VT-
0: VTOs, and form and function. Yeah, form they were function is in that.
1: Yep. Yeah, yeah. and and so. However, the issue with that, when, when we started kind of delving into the technique in school was these rickets retracted, we had to bend all this wire, belguloy oh, yeah. and, yeah. and everything yeah. else. And it yep. was like cumbersome. Isn't it 036-elguloy,
0: right? He used a lot of like 036-elguloy. Oh. And yeah, that's... Yeah. All
1: this kind of stuff. However, yeah. the, the early arch development with quad helices, yes, and w- um, arches, looking yep. at tongue position, man mandibular position airway breathing
0: yeah exactly it wasn't new people think this is new people think this is like this fringe fad thing that people are talking Uh about airway i mean i've spoken about it before but i mean there's articles going back to the early 1900s i mean you you can quote literature back from 1913 and holzman in 1928 had a whole synopsis in an ajo article a great write-up um about it. So it goes way beyond, I mean, even that was probably what 50 years preceding Ricketts and all of them, but it's not new. And I think it's so, it's such a great point you bring that up that we've known that there are advantages to developing arches early and young. And I mean, Melvin Moss and the functional matrix, right? Enlo and his growth publications in the 60s, form and function, and the adaptability of our craniofacial complex and how that changes based on the environment. Uh, And I think the more that we, you know, the craniofacial adaptation, that side of it, I think is, is we study it. We talk about it a lot. We do a lot of lit reviews on it. We learn about it, but I feel like there's a disconnect between that. And then we go into private practice and it's like, we just focus. uh, Residencies prepare us most for focusing on straightening teeth. And it's almost like there's this, still this disconnect between the two
1: yeah i i um well there was luckily for me there wasn't as much a disconnect you know nice. and and, yeah. and we had a lot of influence from the Europeans at the time okay with, you know um uh you know, herbst and mm-hmm. um you know who was those articles
0: punchers
1: and punch yeah, yeah. punch we we read a lot of those articles yep. and and so we we that's kind of what we did it was it was you know let's let's look at the face, let's start our diagnosis from the outside and let's yeah. look at the the function and let's try and figure out why this looks the way it does yep and then work backwards to figuring out what we should do about it yep versus let's just how do we get these teeth as straight as fast as possible right right you know? right and right. and and but i i also understand the dynamic of early treatment in terms of patient burnout parent burnout wallet mm-hmm. burnout mm-hmm. there's there, there's a whole other side of early treatment that maybe we want to do it yep and but but therefore whatever factors, you know, you just can't get to do it, and that's mm-hmm. okay too. Yep. Um, however, I think a lot of the research that's coming out in terms of the cognitive development of of children. Yes, the neurocognitive we, implications. If, if, yes. And I'm not saying what we do is the panacea of of fixing everything. Absolutely not.
0: Correct, but I agree.
1: How how can having better function, you know, better breathing, better airway. I don't think that <laughs> can hurt anyone.
0: And how can um, normalizing helps- arch development young when they're so pliable and you can use minimal force and again, going back to 100 years ago when they were talking about actually doing this in the full primary dentition not even in the early mixed dentition uh in the orthodontic literature there are many many examples i mean even angle was was big on the development and and not you know the, the whole tweed angle debate that came about and and i mean that, right. this has been going on for for a century but the concept of growing younger faces with less force hence the the bioprogressive rickets using 300 grams of force three to four hundred grams with these with these quad helices not putting these heavy rpes in that you have to be cranking two times a day so the concept's been there we've known the science is sound it's, it's there's been many studies that prove that this works as you said and it's a great point there's burnout there's the financial side I always found that when I was very upfront, I always tried to be, and I teach residents this all the time. You never lie to your patients and you never try to mislead them. You're upfront with them. You tell them pros and cons, what you see and what the problems are. And what I find is I feel like most residencies out there, sounds like you had a very different experience, which is awesome. But a lot of residencies, I'd even say the majority, very few of them ever treat any patient seven years of age or younger at any point in dental school or their residency. And I ask residents this how many have you treated? The average answer can be counted on one hand. Every now and again you get someone who did a GPR or did some additional training and, and you know they they're an outlier with that. But the majority who just go through four years of dental school and a three year orthodontic residency come out of their orthodontic residency and have probably never treated more than a few, a handful patients seven years and under. And I think then they get into private practice and a lot of what we learn about that just doesn't apply because they never did it. And I think that's why a lot of the GPs and pediatric dentists are a little more open to this because a lot of them are used to treating five, six, seven-year-old kids. So it's not that big of a deal to them. Whereas us, if you don't know what you're doing and want to talk more about that, if you don't know what you're doing and have a good system for it, Phase one can be really brutal on a kid, on a practice, on a parent. Um, so tell me a little bit about somehow you did it to try and, and how you got to the point. I'll start by saying this. We both do it with braces and wires. As we talked leading, you know, before this, we're on opposite coasts and literally we're living like this parallel practice life. We were chatting. We're like, wait, you do that too? Crazy. But um, it, it and I'm, I said, I'm like, I wonder how many people in between where the two of us were literally geographically were, are doing this as well. But uh, using braces and wires, not using turnkey expanders. How did you start doing that? And what, kind of what prompted that? And then what did you start to see? And what have you seen in doing it that way?
1: So before I tell you that story, you know, yeah. I'm I'm not predicating that every, you know, five-year-old needs an expander. Absolutely not. And, and every seven yes. or eight or 10-year-old needs an expander. Um, absolutely want to be
0: very conscious about over-treating. So right. I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you for saying that
1: and 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 so um I see a lot of residencies um that that don't see any phase one, like maybe one patient. never mind yeah. a a subs, uh, like a younger kid, yeah, but even any kind of phase one, they just don't see those young kids, which is okay. unfortunate and okay. so we, they didn't get practice. Because it's different, a little bit different, you know, working with younger kids and, and their parents versus teenagers and their parents. Because yep. it's, it's a different dynamic. Uh, you know, yep. the parents, you know, uh, it's just a different behavioral pattern. So yes. uh, we have to get comfortable with that. Yes. Um, and 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 but but some of the most rewarding, uh, as I'm sure you can agree, some well, of the most rewarding, uh, I would even say some of them. I would say in the your most,
0: I would say the mo- when yeah. one of those little ones runs up to you and hugs I'm, you because they know that you've done something that made them better. They don't they can't even maybe verbalize it. And or you see, a, you know, a mom is or I've had dads in tears, literally, because I was the only one who took the time to really understand what was going on with their child. And some of the amazing impacts that happen as a result of getting them to the right medical professionals. Mm. And like you said, looking at them when they walk in the room, paying attention to allergic shiners and signs of atopy and mouth breathing and transverse deficiencies and insufficient tongue space and all of these things that – when you are trained to see it, you can't unsee it. But when you're not looking for it, you can very easily overlook, easily miss it.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you don't ask and you don't see, it, you know, you you, you don't miss. You, you miss it. So many times um, have I forgotten to ask. You know, if a kid snores, you know, mm-hmm. just something small like that, and and mm-hmm. then I was like, oh, did they snore? Mm-hmm. And nine times out of ten, I could I can predict. Yeah, oh, yeah, they're snoring. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, again, not saying that every type of expansion is the solution to everything. Of course not. And and on that point, they might not need or
0: benefit from expansion, meaning exactly what you're just saying. I had a patient I saw with a resident uh, last week and I had just been giving them a talk on diagnosis and treatment planning and the importance of getting a history and background. And I'm with another resident in, in a bay right nearby. And I overhear mom and grandma explaining about this, this 10 year old that she's snoring and, mouth breathing and all of this and I'm hearing this and I'm automatically in my head thinking I'm like this girl's arches are going to be that classic you know v-shaped narrow she's going to have blocked out laterals and significant you know, moderate to severe crowding as I'm listening oh. to the fact that she I walk over and real her, her arches were so beautifully broad and her palate was so perfect. Yep. And she oh. had such – she had, she's had highly advanced dent, uh, dentition development. She had everything. All her permanent teeth were in except for her 12-year-old molars. She was a young 10. She turned 10 in December. So uh, – and as we're yep. speaking here now, it's, it's the beginning of February. Uh, so she was was 10 years, one month at the point that I saw her. And I was like – looked in, and I said to the resident, I said – Chris I said this is exactly why we don't have a one size all fits one size fits all approach this is exactly why we don't just look at someone who's snoring or mouth breathing and say I can fix that as the orthodontist or you need expansion this girl had a level curve of wilson I mean there was nothing I was going to do for her uh, she had a deep bite and eventually she'll need you know comprehensive ortho microdonic laterals but from a airway perspective nothing i was going to do was going to have an impact on her so well you could have
1: impacted her by making a referral well that's what i was just going to say from
0: the clinical orthodontics so the other part of the story is she's already she went to an you know the resident did a great job getting this history had just literally come from my lecture on it so he did a great job asking about ent allergy and so turns out mom had went to an ENT a while ago, like four years or something ago. Um, They didn't really remember what they were told and they've been seeing the allergist continually. The allergist has prescribed a steroid nasal spray, patients not taking it. So we're, you know, we start getting in again into the history. So what did I do to your point? I said, nothing I'm going to do orthodontically to her teeth is going to change this. However, I do feel we need to really emphasize, and I talked to the patient, the importance of using the spray. And I you know, asked her why she doesn't like it. And we talked about that and the importance of breathing through her nose uh, and the parents and mom and grandma said, she's a restless sleeper. She struggles with her attention in school, all of these other neurocognitive issues. So I just kind of explained to them, like, we really want to get her so she's breathing through her nose and not snoring and sleeping well at night. And I really want you to go- make sure you stay going to the allergist, follow your allergist instructions. And I do feel we need to send you back to the EN- to an ENT or another ENT to take a, a deeper look into whether okay. we could be missing some lymphoid tissue or something. And they were so receptive to it. But I-, okay. I after she left, I said to the resident, I said, that is why you take the time to go through a thorough diagnosis for every single patient that walks in your door and the unfortunately in the hospital we we, they have cone beam but it's only if they see like an impaction or something on a pan we they don't do cone beam um up front on it so i wasn't able to see that or or give them any more information on that which is fine i was still able to understand that hey look like like there's something going on with her airway and it's nothing that we can do so when people come out and they start making these points that oh people who believe that orthodontics can impact airway it's almost like they they conflate that with People who just want to throw expanders and appliances into everybody and say they're solving sleep apnea—it's like it, that couldn't be further from the no. truth. Um, and so, and what you're, what, but what you're doing
1: for the patient, and and what we hope we do for all our patients, is ultimately you're caring for the patient. Yes, right. That—that's what we hit on initially, right? Yep. And so, their well-being and yep. and their you know growth and development. And, yep. Um, and that and that's important. I, I think we have a role to play in that. I agree, um, and and, uh, and it's an important role that we. I think some of a lot of us just kind of miss in the day to day of everything going on in our practices, you know. But do I think it's just because we're so busy?
0: I I agree with you, and I that troubles me. Why we we overlook it so often? Because your average I orthodontist, I mean, is highly intelligent, very f- focused on minutiae, I mean, small details. That's that's why a lot of us went into this. Um, very acutely aware of things going around uh, on around them. Why do you think so many don't look at it?
1: I think we get caught up in the in the busyness, right, Mm -hmm. of of your day. And as a as a practitioner, if you're if you're owning the business, Mm -hmm. you're managing the business, you're doing the orthodontics, you're head of marketing, head of HR, Mm -hmm. you're head of admin, head of IT, Mm -hmm. and you're the orthodontist. There's a lot of hats you have to wear in a private orthodontic practice. Uh, We we. Believe me, I know. And, yeah, and at some too. point, those hats start falling off your head <laughs> mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah. Right. And yep. and so I think you know the way I practice now, um, you know, even if I had one office, I would I would practice with the same management style because when I come in, I can solely, solely, solely focus on my patients. That's great. And that's all I have to do. Yeah. And 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 we and and luckily we've developed the the, the team to support us as orthodontists so that they can take care of the management and they can take care of, you know, the HR and the things like that. And, 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 uh, and so I I really like this way of practice because I can, I think my orthodontics, um, and the, and the care, not just the orthodontics and the tooth and the class one, but the actual care we can give our patients, the time we can give them, um, is is better. Um, for me, without all those distractions,
0: I, I, that, Yeah, completely agree. A hundred being in that position myself, um, I refused to sacrifice the care I gave my patients, and it took a lot out of me. I mean, it took a lot. I mean, basically, what what I compromised at that point was just sleep. (laughs) It's just like well, something uh, just like you said, something something, a hat was going to drop, and my hat was sleep. It was just like it was only so many hours, and I refused to to not go through that process for each one of, of my patients. No, um, most,
1: and and most of us w- won't compromise. And that, yeah. and that's a good thing. You know, yeah. I, I, and I think orthodontists by nature, really caring and, and really, um, uh, you know, strive for excellence for yep. sure. I agree. Um, I agree. I think the whole profession, and that's why we have these debates and we openly share about our businesses and our practices uh, because we want us all to do better, um, you know, for our collective patient pool, right? Yeah. Which is the communities basically that we serve.
0: Completely. So, how um, did you get into doing it with braces and wires? From understanding okay, so, that yeah, you had so, to, do, did you learn that question. at the fellowship, or is that something you just started? Trying? No.
1: So, so the fellow, I, you know, I stayed on and did a, an additional year after my residency because I wanted. We didn't. Ha- uh, was that Buffalo still? Of, you were
0: still at? Buffalo yeah, University? in Buffalo.
1: Okay. Yeah, same same place. So I, I was okay. kind of on faculty, um, and and did you know? Did some research and helped uh, help teach. Uh, you know, worked in the faculty practice and uh, wanted to do more phase one early treatment because when I was a kid, I had I had early treatment. Okay. Um, my early treatment was five years of a headgear, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so we won't uh-huh. get into that. Yep. I didn't necessarily enjoy the process, yep. but one of the reasons I became an orthodontist is because I really, really enjoyed what it did for me, mm. right? And and I, at the time I didn't know it, but when I look back and look at when I started to do better at school and get you know, I wasn't the last one picked on the sports team. You know, I started actually getting into sports teams mm-hmm. a bit better. I was kind of almost encouraged to put in more effort
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, because I had this new confidence when I didn't have these big, big teeth. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. and maybe it was an age thing or, or direct, but there was a direct correlation yeah. to when I finished that early orthodontics that 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 I just started to do better, just in general.
0: Uh, By what age would you
1: say? Shell a little bit. What age would you say? Were
0: what age about? Were you then?
1: It must age. have been about eleven, ten, eleven.
0: Okay, yep. So, yeah. see, still pre-adolescent. And what, yeah. What, yeah,
1: yeah, and 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 it was. Yeah, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't like a, a, a light switch. Uh, yeah. But when I look back at it, I was like, well, when did I start actually putting in more effort and trying harder and? and and, and just in general, do better. I, you mm-hmm. know, I had more friends, and I th- I think it was is a confidence thing. Yeah, you know, when I felt better about yourself. And, sure. Yeah. And, you know, and and there's a there's a there's a obviously commonly um, used label uh, statement that we you know we we don't you know we don't save lives, but we certainly change lives with sure. orthodontics. And and absolutely, I 100 percent agree with that. So many people were blessed and fortunate to to impact in our careers. Mm-hmm. Um, that, That's true. That, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I tell everyone's the best profession out there. Yeah.
0: Um, great. Have you heard about the doc community on Facebook? It's where you can get access to more great content, including case reviews, select clips from CE courses and podcasts, literature reviews, and exclusive promotions and discounts off doc educational materials. Just go to Facebook and search for the doc community and submit a request to join the group. And now back to the podcast.
1: And, yeah, and so so th- that was kind of done for me. I, I wasn't so thrilled about, you know, wearing this headgear. In fact, mm-hmm. it was tied in at the time. I had to wear it to school because I didn't really? wear it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, wow. You got tie it tied in. Bro. I mean,
1: you know, I don't think anyone would willingly wear that no. headgear 24-7. Um, but I, And I still see people with headgears. Um I I was at an airport a few years ago and someone walked past me, a little kid with a headgear on it. I was like, I had to take a double take. I was like, wow. I was well, I was impressed by the compliance, but I was like, wow, you know, yeah. But anyway, so I'm I'm not dragging on headgears. I mean, you know, myself personally, I wish I would have had a a, a, maybe a herbst instead of the headgear, Mm -hmm. so you know I wouldn't snore as much. Um, as I do, but, yep. um, and I'm still a little bit retrognathic and, and, and perhaps, uh, that would have been a, a better option, but yep. again, that's what, that's what we had at the time. And I'm absolutely not ragging on headgears. It's not what I'm doing. We're not ragging on expanders, mm-hmm. but when I got out of residency, the way we were taught to deal with, um, crowding, narrow arches, crossbites phase one was to put in an expander, mm-hmm. Um, and expand, and then two by fours, mm-hmm. right? Put yep. in two yep. by fours. So whether it was an just op- upper, probably
0: right. You'd, what's ju- that? Just upper expansion, probably right. Yeah, in, upper. In we,
1: we um, I worked with a pediatric dentist in San Diego, actually. Uh, he had done the pedo Ortho um, okay. program, so he he done pedo and Ortho, and we saw a lot of young kids in their practice, and I would see lower expansion. And I hadn't seen that yeah, in residency. Yeah, right, so again, no, come out
0: of ortho residency. Like, wow, you're this, like, wait, wait, this what? That's kind of worse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and so, it really works. Again,
1: you're trying to learn something everywhere you go. Agreed, yep. Um, yep. And and so I started, I was doing upper and lower expansion Yep. Um, yep. And, and two by fours. And um, the dentist, actually, the, the dentist- hey, Excuse who's on me one this, second. I'm sorry oh. to interrupt
0: you on this. I want to be very clear, though, for the audience, because I've faced- feedback from people when they hear lower expansion they think we're saying we're expanding the mandible and and that is not the case we know no. that the symphysis fuses around birth it, it, it's we we're not that takes it would take distraction osteogenesis to expand the mandible we're talking about dental alveolar expansion and uprighting and arch development of a steep right. curve of wilson or Tipton teeth so i just want to clarify that slow expansion you're not turning this thing twice a day if you're doing it with a no, turn no, key, no, no, it's no, no. once a week type of thing so anyway so i just want to clarify yeah. that just so,
1: very. I, the pediatric dentist I worked with would do it with a, a lower, a, kind of a, an RPE key expansion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what we had done in, in my residency, we'd use a, quad, he, uh, a bi-helix on the lower. helix yep, sure. Yep. Uh, doing it the Ricketts way. Yep. And again, it's slow, slow arch development, yeah. um, upriding and space, you know, space maintenance basically on the lower, yeah. uh, trying to keep the lower incisors, you know, obviously upright yeah. um, and, and just making space for teeth to erupt. I mean, yeah. how many times have you seen a, a teenager walk into your office with impacted canines that are wiping out the roots of the laterals and centrals and you're like, ah, I wish I would have seen this kid, yeah. at, you know eight or nine or seven, so I could have made some space and maybe had some baby teeth removed so that these teeth could erupt. I think if you can manage the eruption from an early age and you see the issues, pediatric dentists are pretty usually good at this because they're looking for it. I think a lot of times our colleagues, you know, they're also busy in their day-to-day and they and they miss these things because um, they're not looking for it, right? Yep. Um, and, we, and when and, we don't do
0: it in our, pre- in residency, that's the thing I find. If you're not trained correct. to think this way, it's right. really, really hard to go to as much school as we go to, not be trained to think this way or see this way, and then walk into practice. When I started my own practice, the hardest thing that I had to do, be, and it happened to be the thing I saw the most of once I started from scratch with no patients, I didn't buy anybody's patients. I literally, like you, I, was, I sublet from another guy. I had three chairs that he used that wasn't there the day, and the, uh, the day that he wasn't there, and these patients started coming in. And they're six, seven, eight-year-old kids with narrow arches, blocked out laterals, crowding. And I'm looking in there, n- no space for the tongue, just everything's caved in. And I'm looking in there going, well, I was taught, like, if they don't have a crossbite, they're not narrow. <laughs> you know, It's kind of the, right. the mentality we have coming out of residency. Yeah. A lot of these kids didn't have cr- posterior crossbites. And I'm going, "So yeah. well, I could start to just pull, send this kid to get extractions. But something in me just felt like that's not – that's treating the symptom. That's not treating the etiology the, this kid doesn't have macrodontia. These aren't big teeth. Sometimes they look big because there's this kids are small, but they, the right. teeth themselves were not large. I said, why am I going to just start pulling these teeth? Can, why can't I grow more? And believe it or not, that's how I started going back almost literally almost 20 years ago, uh, 19 plus uh, looking into like, well, how can I help these young kids? normalize the transverse, even in the absence of a posterior crossbite. And I started with the Schwartz appliance um, and there's a ton of literature on it. It was put out in the mid sixties by, by Schwartz. And I think Gratzinger was who he did did the first publication on it with um, in the mid sixties. And uh, it's been studied extensively since that you can get stable, long-term stable, dental alveolar expansion of the mandibular arch. So I started researching it and then I came into the Hilgers and the, and the, um, (laughs) By a progressive and the Ricketts and gino and looking at their literature of help of slow development of the upper arch and i'm going there's something here that that we can do and i had no idea about airway at this point i mean it wasn't even on my radar i i i swear i must have probably missed so many kids that had issues at that age and i just i just wasn't even looking at it had no idea but i did get that like treating the symptom of the crowding really wasn't the thing. And maybe what could I do? So, and it really just happened because these are the kids that just started walking into my door when I first opened my practice and hung my shingle and I I didn't know what else to do with them. And I just didn't in good conscience. I'd also, last thing I'll say about that is I treated a lot of patients in my residency in my third year when I was co-chief resident, we got a lot. The chief residents got a lot of the cases that had been in treatment for five years, and had we had to try to clean them up and get them so they could be acceptable. A lot of these cases were four by extraction cases that were just a mess. So I knew that pulling the te- pulling teeth wasn't always the answer because I saw so many cases where it wasn't, and I knew that if I started them down that path at six, seven, eight years old, was, you're kind of pot committed in a lot of these cases. So just kind of started thinking, what else could I do? So did you have a similar sort of epiphany in that, or was yours? Actually, just- my
1: my story is back back backwards from that. Really? <laughs> so yeah. So remember when I started my practice, you know, I I had been to a, a Damon one of these Damon meetings. Yep. And saw these the these beautiful, just beautiful cases, um, being presented uh, by obviously some excellent orthodontists, and you have probably given them. Bob wire and they would make you know mm-hmm. <laughs> beautiful <laughs> cases, right, paper clips, uh, yeah. you know. Yep. Um. And and so you know, and and doing things non-extraction, mm-hmm. um, and not just for the sake of being non-extraction, but doing them Agreed. beautifully. Yep. And 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 you know, I've, I've I've yet to see someone who's like dying to get their teeth extracted. You know, I've yet to meet anyone. Uh, <laughs> i right, uh, right Again, there I'm not saying that we never extract. Absolutely, Agreed. there's a time and place to extract. And Agreed. extractions are not bad. There's absolutely a time and place, so it's never yep. all or all or, or, or yep. nothing. But I'd I see the most beautiful aesthetic cases that I've I'd ever seen, and 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 efficient, and extremely yeah. efficient. Yeah. And two things resonated: we have to be efficient. Yep. Um, to protect the, you know, to take care of. The patient wants you to be efficient. It's not like they don't want you to of, be. Of efficient. course, right. <laughs> it's right. good for the practice and it's good for the patient. Yep. Um. And also, just the 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 aesthetic outcomes, the occlusal outcomes, the the the, bites, the amazing. So, mm-hmm. I had to learn how to do that. No one taught us. There was no one teaching any passive self ligation at the mm-hmm. time. And so, kind of, I, I I headed off to Dr. Pizz's office
0: to learn okay. from him. So that's how you okay yeah okay
1: yeah. And so that's how I got into it. So I started doing these cases on adults. That I, you know, thought were surgical cases. That's what mm. we were taught.
0: You have yeah, to do yeah.
1: surgery or yep. nothing. Yep. So I, I was like, I can't accept that. I can't help this patient who, yeah. who doesn't want to do surgery. There's got to be a way. Is there a way? So I would, of course, email a bunch of of my colleagues, and they were like, Oh yeah, he has a similar case. Do this. Do this. And so that's how I learned huh. that the alveolus is is if you treat it really gently and kindly is, is somewhat plastic. Yes, very pliable. Yeah, it. yes, absolutely. Even in so adults, let, let alone seven-year-olds, yeah. I started doing this on adults and I started doing it on teenagers, mm. but I hadn't done it on the young kids because of the training and, and the pediatric dentist that I would worked with earlier in my career would always put in expanders. Yeah. So one day, I, the, the dentist that I'm working in their office, I, who I rented the chair from, you know, his little seven-year-old comes in and crowded and uh, she may have had a crossbite, I can't remember. And I put in a, a RPE in and, and uh, you know, I showed him how to use it, da, 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 This is like, you know, this is standard of care for, you know, for, for this. Yep. And and the next day I get a phone call and he's like, well, two days later, he's like, Rail. To get this thing out of my my daughter's mouth, and I'm like, "Why? What, what, what's what's wrong?" He's like, "She's freaking out every time I come mm-hmm. to turn the expander. Yeah. She like jumps up. I have to bring her to the office and put night put on nitrous and turn the expander, and it's like this whole big endeavor." And I was like, oh, that's weird. It's not an endeavor for anyone else, or maybe no one else told me there was such an endeavor." Right. right? Yep. yep. Um. You know, and and so I started. He's like, "Well, why can't you?" And so I've been showing. Uh, You know, a few of the dentists locally, the things that we were doing with Damon arch development and things like that. He's like, "Why can't you do that on my daughter?" And I said, "Good question."
0: Yeah.
1: Right. And so, so, so then I reached out, of course, to my. Crew, before I do anything, I reach yeah, out. Yeah, I, I need some. I need some information. I need to learn about this. And and they were like, Oh yeah, we've been doing. Oh, we put brackets on on primary teeth, and we do this arch development with the wires, and just like we do it on teenagers, and just like we do it on adults, and it works. Yep. Guess what? It works even better on better. younger kids because because their jawbones are so malleable. They're, they're so pliable. The the beauty of it is is that it's comfortable because you don't have this thing in the roof of their mouth. Um, their tongue when you when they started talking technically it's like it encourages tongue posture yes because and you're that's now, a
0: huge part of it which, it's a which I think is part the of
1: it. biggest part of the the stability of that kind yes. of art development yes because I was taught to always over expand you know using right. expanders yes. We we I've never we never overexpand. Same and here. I just really, was telling really, a resident
0: this exact thing. That's crazy I'm about the overexpansion. Exactly. I never had to with braces and wires. Ne-
1: never had to, and we rarely, if ever, see relapse on oh, in this kind of expansion. So yeah. again, there's there's no you know never ever. Um, but, uh, you know, we've been doing this arch development. And so in the early days we would put, you know, cause we were all Damon, yeah. um, we put Damon brackets on these primary teeth. They start getting loose after a couple appointments and then you yep. got to take them off. And, I, you know, my, my thinking is like, wow, we're throwing away these, these expensive Damon brackets, yep. Yep. um, <laughs> you know, after like two appointments, yeah. Uh, this is crazy. That's, that's an expensive so, handle. Um, yeah. Expensive <laughs> handle. So then we put it, we started putting these little mini, um, second molar tubes on, and then we moved to eyelets because the eyelets then didn't have, um, they, they, they they were round, so they didn't catch any torque oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, from the, the rectangular wires, which was great because we were thinking that maybe we were prematurely evulsing primary teeth mm-hmm. uh, from just adding too much torque or too mm-hmm. much pressure to these teeth, which they had to come out anyway at some point, but yeah. we wanted to make sure that things were as normalized as possible. So we went to eyelets, and that's how I developed the Bernie tube is basically taking the features of the eyelids that we liked yep. and, and kind of the stuff that we didn't like and putting it all into a, a Bernie tube uh, that we could, was really well adapted for, pri- for bonding primary teeth. And so yep. I tell people we're definitely expanding we're we're doing arch development. Uh, do we still use expanders now and again? Absolutely. Yep. Um, if, if, if there's an absolute critical airway issue, uh, the patient's seeing ENTs do sleep studies and, and they call for RPE maxillary rapid expansion. We do it. Um, but making space, um, and, and, um, you know, getting back to helping patients with form and function and tongue posture. Um, it's a, so I kind of backed into it from doing it on adults and and teenagers and then, and then doing it on the young kids.
0: Hey doc podcast listeners, the biggest compliment you can give us is to share the show with friends and family. That way others can benefit from all the great content doc has to offer. And now back to today's episode. And I think the consistency there, and as we you know, talked more and realized how similar we are and in, in, in how we've approached this, but just, again, from opposite ends of the country and now opposite ends of the spectrum of you came from the adults down and I came from the little ones up. But we both had the same common – the commonality there is we both were looking at the way we were taught to do it and the way we thought it needed to happen, and we were – open to thinking differently about that, using our knowledge our, of science and craniofacial growth and development, um, and understanding the biology and then saying, well, why can't I push this envelope? And a big part for me too, was I would tell people early on when I started doing it, because I did it with going back to the beginning, I was using expanders. I used an, an upper RPE, a lower Williams. Uh, I didn't know at the time, kind of embarrassed to say that using an RPE in a I mean, Prophet says it's dangerous, quote unquote, and can cause a distortion of the face to use heavy orthopedic forces in kids under the age of 10. I mean, we know a myriad of studies out there that we shouldn't be cranking these things on seven year olds twice a day. Why do we do it? Cause that's how we learned to do it on 12 year olds is what I think. I mean, and I did it. I'm guilty of it. I'm not saying I'm not indicting anybody. I, I, I just, uh, there's no real literature to support going in on a seven year old and turning something with that much force, with, with three to 10 pounds of force per turn. So you're talking six to 20 pounds of force in a day. You don't need that. But that being said, we do it. We throw expanders in on these kids all the time as orthodontists. So I just started thinking, okay, if Ricketts and them could do it with like three, 400 grams of force with an, an 036 alloy like we were talking about. And if Schwartz was using these slowly turned lower expanders, right? Maybe I don't need all these heavy forces and maybe I could generate enough force with braces and wires because nickel titanium alloys, you get up to a 1622, 1725, you're in the 500, you know, four to 600 grams of force that those can deliver. And I always... Kind of did, I did some quad helixes or quad, quad helices, as the case would be, and when you get that narrow arch, man, you that thing is almost flat with the glusal plane. It is so hard to get that thing up into the height of the palatal vault, uh, if even impossible. And so I'm like, well, when I use those, and Rick and and um, uh, Prophet talked about using a, an expanded lingual arch instead of a, a turnkey hyrax for, for use, to have lighter force. So what if i just went to the buckle right like i mean okay uh, on a quad helix we could have the argument of getting above the center resistance of of the tooth and up higher to the line of action of force to the center resistance of the maxilla but we're talking about a seven-year-old so some of those arguments aren't aren't as valid as far as the the resistance of the suture is going to put on it with the maxilla secondly if i'm knowing that a quad helix and all these studies exist that you can get orthopedic change from slow expansion with that type of device Why couldn't I get it from the buckle? And that was kind of how that was about five years in to doing expansion in my practice, five, six years in about 2011, when I just started experimenting with it. And to end that part of the story where I started, I would literally tell patients' parents, don't know if this is going to work. It's not going to hurt anything, but if we can avoid having to put your child in expanders, would you be for that? And, and I did that probably for the first six, nine months that I did this. The first patients I did it on were, were kids who had special needs. The one was a a boy with Asperger's and he could not, there was no way he was going to tolerate expanders with his tongue. And he was very, had significant um, uh, sensory, oral sensory issues. And mom begged me, she said, Dr. Mike, she's like, Please don't send him to get teeth out. And to your point of wanting extractions, she's like, he'll have to go under general anesthesia. And she said, how many times? I said, well, we'd have to go get you know the primary teeth, totally yeah. the baby canines now, then a couple of years, maybe a couple more baby teeth, and then for sure when he's older, four premolars. And she's like, so it could be three times. I'd have to go to the hospital and have him under general anesthesia. He got a lot of complications. Times he had been under general. So I looked at this mom and I was just like, she's like, is there anything else you can do? And I said. I could, I could, do you think if I gave him and I would use just hydroxyzine Atarax just a low dose a little bit at night, little in the morning, and it would take some of these high anxious kids and, and chill them out. It was great. It's, it's a antihistamine, it's non-narcotic. And so I said, do you think if I give him like a little kind of antihistamine, like a strong Benadryl, he'd be able to, to go through the process of getting the braces on mom's like, yeah, he's good with that stuff. But if it's by his tongue, uh, when he you, you know, later it's, he's going to rip it out. So I did it. I put braces on the kid and well, re- the, First visit, he comes back eight weeks later, and I looked in this kid's mouth and I'm like, What the heck just happened? It defied everything I thought I knew about orthodontics. I mean, the arch was starting to expand. His, I'm going with an 014. <laughs> i'm like what is i i literally called my clinicians over i'm like you've got to come see this now of course it's an n of one so i wasn't ready to just go all in on every patient so i over the next few years i just treaded lightly and i would just kind of i didn't do any posterior crossbites to start i would just do those narrow upper and lower arches then i figured out how to build bite ramps strategically and kind of disclude them and go after a unilateral crossbite then i'd get more bold and went after a bilateral crossbite and next thing i know i'm like wow I rarely need to put an expander in on these. Again, younger kids. I'm, I'm, you know, there, there's, there's certain exceptions. And then the last thing I'll say on that part of it is, I started doing it on patients with cleft craniofacial anomalies and palatal clefts. And I, I have a course on the Doc platform on that, which shows cases. Uh, it is, it changed how cleft craniofacial orthodontics was done on the team I was on because the surgeons. You know, one of the biggest problems when you talk about expanding these kids in phase one with cleft craniofacial issues is the fistula open and then the surgeon wants to go in and do a fistula repair maybe before they do the actual bone grafting so you're trying to coordinate these surgeries and you got to take the expander out because they can't operate with the expander on the roof of the mouth and you're trying to retain them well what do you do you give them a holly and then they can't wear the holly after surgery, and so there's this constant collapse. Well, when I would do it braces and wires, I said to the surgeons, the ENT and the and the cre- the pediatric plastic surgeon, I'm like, can do you think it's a problem if you operate with the braces on? And they're like, no, should, if there's nothing on the tongue side, it should be fine. It totally transformed the approach. I mean, they were doing tongue grafts for huge palatal fistulas with this kid in full braces, and I didn't lose any of the transverse. And I mean, it just—I could go on about it, but but that just kept is kind of the how it kept evolving for me and why I became so passionate about it.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people that do it this way or or have introduced this process in their practice have that kind of story of like, hey, you know, I tried it on this one kid because I couldn't do what I was typically doing, mm, and it right. worked so yeah. well. You know, and and it's probably the same story about other things that they've introduced, right? Sure, yep. Um, Now, again, the the big argument, of course, when you talk about airway is, okay, so we're uh, developing the arches, but what about nasal passages, right? What, what's happening? And and so again, there's so much that goes into airway and breathing with yep. you know tongue posture, mandibular position, pharyngeal length, uh, uvular. I mean, there's just so much uh, nasal airway. Ter- ter- I say hypertrophy. I mean, yes, that, that's I mean, all yep.
0: part of it. Sure. Yep.
1: Right. And so so absolutely, we work with the ENTs and and if they if they you know insist on on sutural expansion, absolutely we want to do it and give give up. Patients, everything that we can to help their situations so and, um but but you know very very seldom do we get a letter it's like you have to put in an expander yeah uh, or, or a, a sutural expander mm-hmm. um from from the ENTs or from the you know usually when they do the tonsils and adenoids is a huge uh a huge relief um i'm hoping they're looking at that stuff now um, and, and it's just an educational process to to look at the patient as a whole versus just, you know, trying to make some teeth straight. And, and,
0: completely. You know. And getting that history, because I would have so many parents who, you know, on the history, they would have um, adenoidectomy and or tonsillectomy. And one was dad was a physician. He was, he was a very well-known physician in my community and his daughter had had uh, her adenoids and Top of my head, I don't no tonsils as well, but for sure her adenoids removed. She was snoring. And dad, uh, she was, dad said she was pretty good for a few months. Um, she was doing better. And lately she's been getting worse and I've taken her back to the ENT and they scoped her and they said, there's really not much adenoid regrowth, maybe a little bit, but certainly not worth another surgical procedure. And we just can't figure this out. Well, this only came about after I had her cone beam and I looked at her and I saw how narrow she was in the nasopharyngeal area not even just due to her her adenoids per se but just really tight in that area and a little bit of of turbinate hypertrophy and and looking at the clinical to your point signs and symptoms that she came in with and she had these dark circles under her eyes and these narrow arches and not enough space for her tongue so I said to dad, again, because I never said to anybody that if I go in and do this, I'm going to solve the snoring. What I said to dad is she presents with narrow arches, lack of tongue space, some constriction in the nasal passageways and pharynx. I have to defer to my medical colleagues on you know what's going on up in, in the nasal passageways and pharyngeal area but my area of expertise is in her mouth and she's very narrow and her tongue doesn't have a lot of room. And because of that, that tongue can be pushed posteriorly, especially when she's, she's lying supine at night uh, in bed and it can occlude the airway. We know that that's one of the ideological factors of snoring. It's why we give adults devices and appliances to bring their tongue forward away from the oral pharyngeal area at night. So we know that that's, that's a, a, a contributing factor or can be. So I said, I'm going to go in. I'm going to help develop her arches so they're the normal width. We're going to use braces and wires to do it, and take a little over a year because we had to wait for her laterals too because they were blocked out. Said we'll go in, we'll do this. Um, she'll have, you know, I can promise that she's going to have a, a successful result as far as being able to develop those arches. I don't know the impact that will have on her snoring. However, I've had multiple patients present just like her who had a history of adenoid and or tonsillectomy. I went and made room for the tongue which also, again, has a nice benefit of making room for the teeth and it resolved. So we'll see. And and we'll give it a, a shot and we'll see how it goes. And if what I do doesn't work, well, we're just going to have to keep following up with the ENT and allergy and maybe get a sleep physician involved and figure out what's going on. Dad's like, all right, I'm all in. Well, within four to five months, dad's like, he comes back into the clinic. He's like, you're not, he's like, I don't even believe this. He's like, she's not snoring. She's not snoring anymore. He's like, I check her multiple nights. He's like, He's like, I I can't even believe this. And so, you know what his question to me was? Why isn't every orthodontist looking at patients like this? And he said, we had been for another opinion and they didn't recommend we did anything right. And they said she was probably going to need teeth removed. And so I think so often we get in this debate of extraction and non-extraction and it has nothing directly to do with that. It was that I took the time to look at this girl for more than her teeth didn't and promise and just and and just to normalize the development that she was deficient in. I treated a problem so that this girl was able to have room for for her tongue in it, and in her case, it helped her. Right.
1: I mean, what you did is what we teach our residents is listen first. Right. We we are all quick to tell you know patients what what's going to solve the problem, but mm-hmm. but we should always do more listening. Right um yeah. and you know try and figure out you know where's this coming from and what else is going on so that we can kind of delve into things you know a little bit deeper for yeah. them um i think that's better patient care great for sure In whatever technique you use <laughs> you know oh, a agreed. lot of this stuff yeah. is universal Completely. a lot of this stuff is universal right yep. um so i you know absolutely and so you yeah, know try and try and do more <laughs> listening mm-hmm. uh the patients patients will tell you what's going on you know
0: why do you think the negative stigma towards those of us who do treat early, especially, dare I say, right, with full braces and wires on, on, on seven-year-old patients, six, seven-year-old patients, uh, and then looking at and being conscious of the implications on airway? Why do you think our profession is still so resistant I, to that? I think there's a couple of things. I think
1: there's a, a, there's a, there's a misconception, or however you want to concept, um, portray it, that early treatment is not productive. So I think um, so. Some people will not do it because, um, uh, frankly, they can't charge enough for it, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of follow-up and a lot yep. of visits. I yep. think some people just don't like seeing young kids that just have a hard time relating and I agree. and working in these small mouths, and, mm-hmm. and and they just they have a difficult time. So I think that's just a personal preference sometimes, Great. which kind of weird, um, but okay. Um, and then I think sometimes y- y- you know. Um, especially with braces and wise, what I've heard is like, well, you're going to make the teeth straight as well. And, and what if they don't need a second phase? Yes. And
0: I'm like, Oh, that comment. What on earth are you
1: talking <laughs> about? I'm like, blood pressure that's behind. the best thing that ever happens if they don't need a second phase. you, so know, maybe you see what the I saw that, these kids, the
0: that these kids had a tremendous psychosocial benefit that I never anticipated was important uh, for an eight-year-old huge. kid? Huge, right?
1: Huge. But for me, that's the number one reason like, to give them a nice smile sooner. Oh it's brutal what's happening with our children these yes. days. And it's happening at a younger and younger and younger yes. age. Yes. Specifically yes. with social media. You know, when yes. I was at school and, you know, someone had said something about my teeth or was mean to me or this or that, you know, I could go home and, and and you know, go home for the weekend or go right. home at night. Right. I'd have to deal with it until no. I saw that kid again. Right. And nowadays the kids can't get away from this stuff at all. Mm. 24-7. Uh, and and it's it's horrific. So if nothing else, if if it's just for social psychosocial yeah, reasons, right? To, to make to get the you know, I I put um, braces on a young girl the other day, and 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 just the fact that she got braces, yeah, day one, yeah. nothing had changed. There's no yeah. movement yet, but she actually had braces. Her head posture changed, yes. Her demeanor changed, yes. And I promise you, she's going to school the next day. Like the queen of the school yes. because now she's got braces yep. and no one's going to make fun of her anymore yep. for her teeth and that's the power that's what we have to 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 do for our patients and it's and it's enormous and we and we get caught up in all the other stuff yes and it's
0: so so important I mean it, it's unbelievable. Did you ever have the one where you, they don't tell you there's any psychosocial problem uh-huh. um, and then midway through or at the end of treatment the parent yeah. says she came and be like Dr. Mike. She came to me and she told me that that she was being teased really badly by this one boy, and I wondered why she was hating going to school. I had this multiple times, or a boy, why he was hating going to school. They were being teased, and they weren't telling their parent why. They just said, I don't like school. All of a sudden – since their teeth got straight, that changed, and he or she loves school now. I mean, it, I look at colleagues, and I'm like, what is your argument against that? <laughs> like, like, even like you said, take the airway, the trans- – like, yeah. even if you just focused on making these kids, why do we settle for the fact – and again, you have to be upfront with the parents. And I always was like, this might not solve everything. And we very likely are going to need to go back in when they're an adolescent. But these are the benefits of doing this now. And here's the risk and consequences if we don't. And, you know, again, they might be a 2 faced patient. Some people, you flat out knew they were going to be a 2 faced patient. And I would always make that very clear. No. But why Absent, I think you gave excellent reasons, just kind of fear of treating and unfamiliarity of treating these younger kiddos, not liking to do that. And then profitability, you know, people turn to people who are doing a lot of phase one and are like, oh, you're just doing it to make more money. If you don't really understand how to do phase one correctly, you're going to take a bath on it and ask me how I know, because when I was doing upper and lower turnkey expanders and two by fours, I was literally probably paying them to do it. By the time you count, I have in my one course, I showed the breakdown of the number of visits. I went into old charts and literally took like 50 people and pulled the average number of visits and then compared it to what I do with braces and wires. It's like four mm-hmm. times the number okay. of clinical appointments and, and chair time, um, which is also, as you alluded to before, really nice to be so sensitive to our parents uh, that they don't have to be bringing the kids to our office as as frequently. But yeah. I just you know, do we under- forget
1: that it's not about us. You know right. practices, right. really. It's about the patient and it's yeah. about their family. And and yeah. and what patients have to do to get to an appointment, and parents have to take off work or take a yes. kids to daycare and come here and go there. And uh, you know, it's an endeavor. I know with getting my kids to a doctor's appointment as <laughs> yes. well. You know, yeah. it's not just oh, yeah, you just you know, I'm sitting here and you come see me. So right. you've got to be respectful of time, yeah. Right? It's super super important. People ask me. Again, that, that initial question: How how did your practice grow, and what did you do? And I said, we've resp- got to respect people's time. You got to yes. get to the appointments on time. Don't make them wait for yep. hours and Agreed. hours. Always Finish your asking. treatment on time. Yes. Don't take treatment yep. forever and ever and ever. No one yep. likes it. Yep. Um, and, and 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 figure out an efficient way to do this. And and so, um, but you're right. It, it, the, the the phase one stuff, um, you, you know. And and again, at least if the parents say no, we don't want to do that. That's okay too, but at least give the information. And our job, I always tell them, is for me to help them make an informed decision. Exactly. And and, and, and oftentimes they'll turn around and say, okay, what would you do? And I said, Well, mm-hmm. I'm gonna tell you what I would do on my kid every single time. That's right. my moral compass. Like yep. this is the treatment plan, and this is my child, which I think we should all do. Yep. is that's 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 the treatment plan. And so I I'm not I I'm usually not wishy washy unless there are options. Um, on, I think in my experience, in my hands, in our practice, this is what I would do. Yeah. And and um, but I think I think a lot of times, then you know, parents are oh, I'm paying for braces twice, and it's our it's our job to educate, you know, mm-hmm. to also to educate and inform. Yes. And, and that's okay. And you know, luckily, these days we mm-hmm. can treat at any age, pretty much. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think I see such 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 good impact and 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 good. Um, results and, and, and um, on, on these phase ones. And again, not every kid, most kids don't need phase
0: Agreed. One. Agreed. You don't. I, I mean, I, I had a m- huge... Actually,
1: most kids that come yes. in, we we say, let's watch for a while, Agreed. see what happens. Same with me. Yep. It, it's the funniest thing because I'm like the phase one guy
0: yep. and probably ta- do the least phase one out of everyone. It's so <laughs> funny you said that because again, a similarity between us. I found the same exact thing people came to me and they're like i could have sworn you were going to tell us we needed braces and i was like no, no you don't no. It, 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 it's, there's okay need it's okay it's to totally not fine. need braces braces." and i don't know if you found this but i found once i switched because i did it for about six years with expanders and then when, when i went to the braces and wires and did that for almost about 12 to 13 the difference in how those cases, as you alluded to, are retained, but in how much less work I needed to do if they needed a phase two and how many more of them didn't need a phase mm-hmm. two. Yeah. And what a wonderful service to provide to the families to say, oh yeah, all their 12-year-old molars are in, we're just gonna make a set of final retainers to wear to bed and your child's You're fine. And, yep. and, and I mean, so many people were just like, oh my gosh, this is the best news ever. And for those people in our profession who say, well, yeah, you know that's why you don't get their teeth too straight in phase one, which uh, now know drives both of us. Or not. you don't retain phase one. Yes. I've, oh, I've no, seen I, people I, I like people, yes, oh, we don't oh, retain I, phase oh, one. Yep, I'm like I know that one.
1: Oh, yep, I've yep. seen fixed retainers for phase one, like the upper two to two, that yeah. or lower, but nothing on the on the on the arch development yeah. and uh, holding leeway space or whatever. And I'm like, what's going on here? Like,
0: how come I'm seeing these? <laughs> yeah.
1: So I, I think it's. It's kind of to try and guarantee a
0: phase two, which I, I think so. I, I hate crazy. to say that, but I think so. And, and yeah. my attitude and what I say to them is learn how to charge appropriately for phase one and do it more efficiently sure. because instead of hating on all of phase one and make and mocking those who do it and saying that they're like over treating or overcharging, just start to figure out, expand your mind as we both yeah. did. You know, we yeah. weren't trained in, in this, we, we, Just kind of, no pun intended, expanded our minds and said, "What else could we do with these with these patients?" And I, like I said, I started. I was losing a ton of money doing it, but that didn't make me say, "I'm going to stop doing phase one." I just started to figure out, "I've got to figure out a more efficient way to do this because this is the right thing to do for these patients, developing their arches young, and I'm not being successful." And I can, you know, you can't just keep charging. unlimited amount for what I was doing to cover my inefficiencies. So I was like, "Uh, you know, this is this is kind of tough. And I can see where people would say, Phase one is highly inefficient and not profitable. So we're just going to get through it and then try to recoup in phase two. And I've heard people say that all the time. And when I switched my mindset and I got more efficient on phase one and did more in phase one and charged appropriately for phase one, you're not even thinking about it. I'm actually, I was happy if they didn't need a phase two because I got to deliver that news to them. It was usually- Isn't it great when you walk into a
1: consultation and everyone's holding their breath to kind of hear what you have to say? And you're like- the, The parents know- that hey the teeth look really good they do yeah you know they're not occlusion experts or 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 anything else but they're like wow everything looks really really good or you know there's a little bit of maybe a a millimeter of crowding on a low end or whatever and they're looking and looking and looking i was like wow hey it's nice to see you look at this beautiful smile it looks amazing um if if you want to straighten that one tiny little tooth over there no problem we can do that but yep you know, it's an option. You don't really have to do anything. Everything looks great. The occlusion looks great. Yep. And and everyone likes,
0: uh, yeah, you like yeah, literally, you like, feel the pressure. Yes, 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 like, hey, yeah. Wow. Yeah. We could
1: we can we can we can do braces on, on our other kid now. And that's been yeah, so, so many, many food, you said, know? I was waiting it, to bring it's like you know, plenty. Joey,
0: but yes, I was waiting to bring him because yeah. I didn't think we, we couldn't we afford know to do both. Yes, oh my and Oh, uh, we could tell stories on this all day. And so many. I've seen. You have no idea. Well, I've been
1: doing this a long time, but I've seen so many young adults. Come back to our practice, and they were like, "Oh yeah, I was supposed to get phase two, but my parents, you know, had my brother do yep. braces, and and you know, and this tooth bugs me." Yeah, like, Yeah, right, yep. you, you want braces for three months or four months? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, right. Whatever yeah. for the one tooth that bugs you, you, you yep. do some aligners, whatever, you, whatever you want. Yeah. Um, because something's bugging them, but but so, so many that I you know I just thought maybe just went away. Uh, and fell out of our obs.
0: right, you know, right.
1: there's so many more than than don't come in just because they're like everything looks good it uh, looks good yeah uh, leave me just, alone stop calling me yeah their thing.
0: parents yeah. won't even bring them in for that, that yeah which is yeah. fine too as long yeah, as they're doing okay
1: yeah, as long as it, everyone's doing okay, which is the goal here, is for your patients to thrive, right?
0: Yeah, and a lot of them say, like, we uh, the kids are like, I love my smile, like, I, you know, they don't care that there's yeah. a little rotation on the lower right yeah, three, and They're that's like, fine. Uh, too. And I'm like, it's fine, you're fine. It's fine. And I tell no them one, if that no. ever drives you nuts, you we you give us a call, or if you're yeah. if it's ten years from now and you've moved to a different location or wherever, find orthodontist, you can get it It's yeah. Not a big deal. Like, just wear your retainers every night because in time things will move if you don't. But just as long as you do that, you, you you're fine, and it's it's really uh. No, it's yeah. fun. It's fun to do. Yeah. So no,
1: I, the early treatment is is definitely rewarding. And I think I think we can have a big impact on, on these young lives. Um, and so we, we, we kind of make this a family thing. We're all going to do this together Mm -hmm. and we're going to have mom actually brush her teeth at night. Just like when you were a little baby, you remember she used to read your story, right? You know, now we're going to read your story and brush your teeth. Patient
0: management, right. And and the the parents love love that. Good luck doing that on a, on a 14 year old boy. No, (laughs) no, you can't.
1: yeah. (laughs) Good luck getting a response from some 14 year olds, right? Yeah. If we say hi, you know, so, but it, it, it definitely, um nuances to, yes. uh, to treatment. Yes. There's good nuances well, to dealing with it. primary yes. teeth.
0: Yep. Not necessarily obstacles. But nuances. Yes. Great point. Yeah. Yep.
1: And and but to understand the nuances and have a plan to overcome them yep. before they happen and then yep. and then and then deal with them. It's not a big deal. Yep. Um no, you know you. and so the the uh, part of the reason why I designed this Bernie tube was because of some of these things. Trying to remove an eyelet off a loose baby tooth was excruciating for a patient. And yep. then, I got to figure out a way so we can get these off without pressure on the teeth. And and so we built stuff into that, that bracket so that it, it worked well for the, for this type of patient.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that that's, that's true. And yeah. I, again, it's like we all existing in, Many miles apart, we're kind of develop I kind of developed my own prescription for how I wanted uh-huh. to do this. And it's the same concept. Once you figure it out, and you kind of and that's a lot of what I try to teach in my courses, is yeah. once you figure this out, I mean it, it is more complicated than just going and throwing a bunch of braces on the next seven year old you see which is kind of what you and I had to do to figure it out. But we, I made a lot of mistakes along the way that if I can save somebody and same like with you, with the Bernie tube, something that just will make their life a little easier, more predictable uh, then you know, I really had honed it in after a little while, but but learn from our mistakes and, and what we yeah. um, what we did.
1: And go visit practices. Yes, great good. point.
0: Go see places. Yes, yeah. ask questions. See places. Yeah. i never visit. turned down a, a re- yeah. dental resident or an ortho nope. resident who wanted to come to my practice. Yeah, go um, visit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep, that's awesome. So, well, thanks Absolutely. so much, and really appreciate it. I Appreciate your time, and uh, good luck to your Niners as well. Well, thanks, Mike. And, it, and it pains I'm, me I'm, to say that, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy
1: I, I came about your podcast because you know I, I love listening to to all of them, and they're all fantastic. Um, so, uh, pleasure and an honor to be to be on here with you today. Thank you.
0: Oh, thanks so much. I really appreciate it, Rell. and uh, we'll talk soon. We'll talk soon. Cheers. Right, take care. Bye. bye. Thank you for watching this episode of the Doc Podcast. Be sure to visit theorthocoach.com to get access to ADA SERP recognized CE courses or to schedule a private one-on-one coaching session with me. And remember to join the DOC community on Facebook for more great content designed to help you succeed both personally and professionally. Just go to Facebook, search for the DOC community, and request admission into the group. You can also find DOC on Instagram at at @theorthocoach. And always remember, you have been blessed with the ability to do amazing things.